Today's sermon is going to come from 1 Samuel 21 to 23. You can turn there with me, please, in a Bible. If you're using the Bible, it's in the chairs uh, in front of you. It's on page 252. But we'll be covering these three chapters, looking at David on the run. 1 Samuel 21. There's a line in the hymn, The Solid Rock. It's repeated in the song Cornerstone, and it goes like this. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. What do you do when God seems distant? Or or even worse, when it feels like God has abandoned you? Have you ever felt like that? I have. David did. David wrote Psalm 22 and he said these words, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or why have you forsaken me? Here where we find David and at this point in the story, chapters 21 to 23, he's on the run, literally running for his life. He's hungry. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have weapons. The king is trying to kill him. He's not sure where to go, but in chapter 20, his friend Jonathan, who's the king's son, had just said to him, David, yes, Saul wants you very dead. And so you need to run as as fast and as far as you can. And so here David is, he's on the run. You remember where we are at this point in the timeline? Just a few chapters ago in chapter 16, David was anointed by the prophet to be the king. This is about 1000 BC or so. The the prophet Samuel anointed David, promised him, God has chosen you to be the king. And the Holy Spirit, it says, rushes on David at that moment. But do you know that it's 20 chapters later that David becomes king? 15 years of suffering, of waiting, of being pursued, of unjust attacks, of betrayal, of literally fleeing for his life. Not just, not just for a little bit. For 15 years, David waits. Why? What's the purpose of all of that? Why does he have to go through all of that, or at least for that long? Sometimes it just feels like you... You start to see light at the end of the tunnel and then it just flips and all of a sudden the tunnel's longer and darker. David had to have felt like this. These are some of those moments where for David, it would have felt like God is a thousand miles away. But when we read of David's suffering, we're reminded of Jesus who is called the son of David, who also was filled with the Holy Spirit, immediately driven into the wilderness, suffering temptation and unjust attacks and other suffering and betrayal and for Jesus even to the point of death. But Jesus said this to us. He he prepared us. He says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so as followers of Jesus, we, we sometimes think, you know, almost a little more like karma, that if we do good, good will happen to us. We think if I follow Jesus, give him my life, surrender to him, then then my life will be happy. Jesus actually prepared us and says, no, you should expect suffering. 
As followers of me, you will share in my sufferings. But it's in those moments sometimes that it feels like God's distant. It feels like we're alone. It feels like he's abandoned us. And so what do we do when darkness seems to hide his face? The, the closer we look at these three chapters today, we're going to say, yes, what stands out to us, what jumps out at us first is David's suffering. But then as we look closer, we're seeing, no, God hasn't left him. God is with him. God is sustaining him. We're going to be reminded of truth. I'm going to put three points up on the screen because there's a lot that we're going to read today. And these, even these points, there's actually six words here that we need to remember about our God that we're going to see come up as themes through this passage. That this is what we do. This is what David does. Remember God's presence and his provision. Even, even when it feels like God is a thousand miles away. No, remember his presence and his provision. Remember God's power and his protection. And then remember God's promise and his providence. Providence is, is the way that he orders, sovereignly orders all of the little events in, in this entire universe to, to lead toward his plan, to lead toward the accomplishment of his promises. And so we're going to see where David is reminded of those things here in this passage. But before we start reading, I want to put a map up on the screen just to give a quick idea here of how much David's running. I don't know if you can even see this, uh, but just think through this with me. David here is on the run, and in chapter 21, we're going to see three places right away that he goes. He's going to go first to Nob. This is a city. It's just a few miles away. It's where the priests have moved the tabernacle. So the priestly family is living there now. He goes first to the priest. He gets some things. And then he's going to go actually all the way west there to Gath. This is a Philistine city. So he, he leaves the, the comfort of home. And he's now going into enemy territory, into Gath, seeking refuge there. But then he needs to escape there. So he escapes there. And that little blue arrow, if you can see it, is him headed toward the cave of Adullam. And this is how chapter 22 starts as he seeks refuge then hiding out in this cave. Let's begin reading 1 Samuel 21 as David flees to Nob. David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? David answered the priest Ahimelech, The king gave me a mission. But he told me, Don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I've ordered you to do. I've stationed my young men at a certain place. Now what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread and whatever can be found. The priest told him, there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread. But the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. So of course their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread. For there was no bread there except the bread of presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. 
When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. One of Saul's servants detained before the Lord was there that day. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. That's just a little, a side note, foreshadowing of doom to come. Verse 8, David said to Ahimelech, Do you have a spear or sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapon since the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Eli, is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one here. There's none like it, David said. Give it to me. When David arrives at Nob, Ahimelech, the high priest, knew something wasn't right. It doesn't make sense that David would be here alone. And so just that unknown, unknown of what's going on with Saul uh, caused Ahimelech to be afraid. And so he, and this is the grandson of Phinehas. Do you remember Hophni and Phinehas? They were Eli's sons. They were called scoundrels in the way that they were unjust and unfaithful and wicked priests. But now this priestly family, we're going to find out later, there's about 85 priests who are part of this family and they've moved to this town of Nob. And so David flees to them. And he's, he's coming there and he's looking for food and for weapons. There's a lot that we could discuss here. We could discuss uh, the ethics of David's deception here during a wartime type of a situation. Uh, we could also discuss the, the rules about this special showbread, this consecrated bread of presence and, and what some of the Levitical rules were for that, how it's supposed to be reserved just for the priests but how later Jesus would refer back to this incident and presume David's innocence. And Jesus was doing that to show that that Jesus himself is Lord of the Sabbath. But what I want us to think about here in this story is just the answer to this question. How would these two gifts that David received minister to him in his time of desperation? How would the two things that he received from this priest of God, how would this remind David that he's not alone, that God is with him? Think first of the the bread of presence. What What would this bread do? The bread of presence was a reminder for God's people of the manna in the wilderness, how he provided for them daily, just what they needed at just the right time. And, and David is now receiving this bread. It's called the bread of presence also because it's, it's literally sitting there in the presence of the Lord. And then as it would be taken off, the priests were allowed to eat that. And so here, when David, in his hunger, in his desperation, he's being reminded, God is with you. And, and remember how he was with his people every step of the way? Every step you are there, every tear, every cry, every prayer, in my hurt, at my worst, when my world falls down, not for a moment will God forsake us. And here, this bread is reminding David of that, of God's presence and his provision. Let me put those three things back on the screen. Remember God's presence 
and his provision. Now the sword reminds David of God's power and his protection. Think about this. How could David have have held Goliath's sword in his hand and not remembered how God helped him through that time? These, these aren't shouts from the priest. This isn't the priest preaching at David. These are little hints here where as David holds that sword, he's probably remembering the words David himself spoke in 1 Samuel 17. He says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. These are David's words. He was speaking truth back then, that it's, it's not the sword, it's not the weapons, it's the battle is the Lord's. And, and David would have remembered that. God, you were with me then. You were, you were with me and you helped me be victorious when all odds were against me. David, David had stood no chance against Goliath on his own, but the battle was the Lord's. As these truths are whispered to David through these circumstances, he had to have been reminded, God, you are with me. You were with me then and you'll be with me again. God does this for us too. Don't miss the little reminders in your life. Little moments where it's whispers, where God is reminding you, hey, remember that time when, when you thought there was no way out. Remember that time when you just felt like so desperate that there was no hope and God carried you through. You know, it might be just a, a place you're driving by and you see a place and it jogs a memory. It could be a friend and just a, a small word. It could, it could be something that you eat even that just, it, it takes you back to a time where you remember, yes, God, you were with me then. It could be something that you see in your house, some, some room, some something, something small where just like this bread, just like this sword, you're reminded, oh yeah, God, I don't feel now, like there's any way out, but I remember when you were with me then. Maybe even just your own life. You, 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 you drive by somewhere, you're reminded of past sin in your life, and, and you're reminded and you think back, oh wow, I, God, you have been changing me. You have been sanctifying me. You have been helping me to grow. There, there are little things, little whispers of God's presence, of his provision, of his power, of his protection, where he reminds us of truth that we can cling to. So David gets these things, and then he flees to Gath. And this is where, at this point in the story, you look at David and you just think, this seems dumb. Uh, that he got Goliath's sword and then he goes to Goliath's hometown thinking that he'll be safe there. Uh, there are times when in our desperation we make dumb decisions as well. But, th but this does show, this does show how desperate he is. That he would think, I'll go to the enemy of God's people, the, the ones who I defeated in battle, and all, because that seems safer to me than being in the hands of Saul, the king of Israel. And so let's start reading verse 10. 
David fled that day from Saul's presence, and he went to King Achish of Gath. Achish's servant said to him, isn't this David the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. David took this to heart, and he became very afraid of King Achish of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Look, you can see this man is crazy, Achish said to his servants. Why did you bring him to me? Do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? Is this one going to come into my house? David here has has gone into enemy territory, and I don't know for sure why. Maybe thinking the enemy of my enemy is my friend, uh, and so maybe he's going there to try to find safety. They will protect him from Saul. I don't know, but it says then, as he's going to Achish, it's actually Achish's servants who recognize him. But look at what they said. They didn't say, hey, isn't this David who killed Goliath? They don't say, hey, isn't this David who defeated us in battle? They say, isn't this David, the king of the land? Here coming out of the mouths of God's, of the enemy of God's people is truth that David need to hear. Reminded of God's promise to him. Here, David was, was on the run. He's, he's maybe even doubting some of God's promises to him. And here he hears from them, hey, isn't this the king? Isn't this the king? That in and of itself likely would have been another, another whisper, another reminder from God in God's providence for David to hear this and be reminded, David, God chose you to be king. He will protect you. But, but the effect that it actually had on David when he heard this, when he heard that they were, they were wanting to turn on him, they, they captured him, was that he was very, very afraid. And so he comes up with this plan. He acts crazy. Uh, he's humiliating himself scribbling around on things, drooling all over himself. uh, And eventually the king just says, okay, you can go. But here again, we see God whispering to David this promise, reminding him of his providence. Don't, Don't you wish we had a little bit more insight into what was David thinking? What was going on in his heart what was he thinking about God? Was he praying? Was he, was he asking for help? Was he trusting in God? Was he doubting God? We have two Psalms that tell us. You know, the Psalms have these superscriptions that, that are part of the text and they remind us, some, sometimes they tell us what was going on. What are the circumstances behind what the psalmist is writing? And there are two that tell us it's right here. 
that he wrote those Psalms. Psalm 56 and Psalm 34. They say the Psalm was written when David pretended to be insane in front of the king, when the Philistines captured David. And so it's these two Psalms and and the Psalms just come to life so much more when we understand, okay, how desperate was David when he wrote these? And so in this moment, as he was afraid for his life, the Philistines are now turning on him. He's acting crazy. What was going on in David's heart? So here he cries out to God, Psalm 56, be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day for many arrogantly fight against me. Here, verses three and four, sometimes kids memorize these uh, to say in their heads at night. But here's the context. David's literally afraid for his life. In verse three, he says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. You hear the contradiction there? When I'm afraid, I will not be afraid. Uh, Because in the middle of that is in God I put my trust. Then he says, the end of verse four, what can mere mortals do to me? They twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. Then my enemies will retreat on the day when I call. This I know, God is for me. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? What's the truth in there? He, he's said a few times, I'm trusting in God, but, but why? Why is he putting that kind of trust in God here? The truth is, he says, this I know. What? God is for me. How does he know that? Because he was told by the prophet Samuel that God has chosen you to be the king. You are the one after God's heart. And so he knows that is true. And here he's reminding himself of God's promise. And that's how he can be assured of God's protection, God's power, God's presence, God's provision for him. Because God is for me. In Psalm 34, it was written at the same time about this same incident. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he rescued me from all my fears. Think about the story of Goliath. David is the one who killed him. But what does he say? He says, the battle is the Lord's. So there's different perspectives there. David is saying, it's God. It's God who brought that deliverance. He's doing the same thing here. There, there were human circumstances about how David got rescued, how he got to escape these Philistines. It was because he acted crazy. He humiliated himself. He slobbered all over himself and they let him, they let him leave. And so here, though, David is saying, no, that's not the real reason. The real rescue was from God. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he rescued me from all my fears. Think about his face here. He says, those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. God's presence here in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Verse nine, he says, you who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. Here's provision. David's gonna look to God's provision. He says, for those who fear him lack nothing. 
Young lions lack food and they go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will, la- will not lack any good thing. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. We're getting a glimpse into how even in this moment when David is on the run, he's being pursued, he's being attacked, he's fleeing for his life, how even here he's reminded of God's presence, of God's provision, of God's power and his protection. And so then he runs to the cave of Adullam. Look at the beginning of chapter 22. So David left Gath and he took refuge in the cave of Adullam. Don't know how long he's there before people join him there. But eventually, it says, when David's brothers and his father's whole family heard, they went down and joined him there. In addition, listen to this crew. Every man who was desperate, in debt, or discontented rallied around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men who were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah of Moab, where he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. So he left them in the care of the king of Moab. And they stayed with him the whole time David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Leave, return to the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. So just in these three verses, there's at least three places now where David's running to. He's in the cave, and then he runs to Moab and, and drops his family off there for their protection. And then he's told by the prophet to go back to Judah, and so he goes back there to the forest of Hereth. And so David is just constantly, all through these chapters, on the run. In this cave, though, God ministers to David. He writes at least two other psalms. If you want to write them down, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142, and their superscriptions both refer to it's in this cave that David wrote Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. God's reviving David there. David is, he's pouring out his heart to the Lord and, and receiving assurance from his God. It's not on the screen, but just listen to this from Psalm 57. He says, be gracious to me, God, for I take refuge in you. So it says earlier, he's taking refuge in this cave. Well, David also says, God, I'm taking refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Do you hear that? God who fulfills his purpose for me. David's trusting God. You have a purpose and you're fulfilling it for me even while I'm stuck hiding in this cave. Later he goes on and in this Psalm twice, he references that word hesed, speaking of God's covenant, loyal love for him. He says God sends his hesed, his faithful love and truth. So as David's there, he's, he's being revived. His family gathers around him. Uh, this motley crew of 
discontented, indebted, desperate people gather to him. I think the narrator's describing them that way to to show us David's army here that he's gathering, even though it does grow to be 400 and later 600, it's no match against the army of Saul. Uh, we're, we're not expected to think, oh, there's, there's some equal grounds here and David's men do, they actually become stronger and defeat Saul. No, it, it's, it's wanted to be very clear here. It's God who's going to protect David. It's God who's going to providentially divert Saul and keep David protected from Saul all the way through. David here, out of his care for his family, he takes them to Moab uh, and he drops them off there. He knows that as long as Saul's trying to kill me, my family's not safe either. We don't know for sure if this is the reason, but David's great-grandmother was Ruth. If you remember Ruth, she's from Moab. And so potentially there's some family connection there. And so David takes his family there. But then one last thing from this section, it's just a little throwaway line, but it says, Gad, the prophet said to David, this, this is, it's, we're going to come back to this later as we see another priest who's speaking to David. David here, how does he know? How does he know God's with him? How does he, how is he reminded of this truth? It is from the word of the Lord. God's word has not abandoned David. God's continuing to minister to David through his priest and through his prophet. And so here in this moment, God is speaking. That's what a prophet was, is a spokesperson of God. And so Gad, this prophet, is speaking to David and saying, don't stay here, go there. Go back to Judah, go to, to Hereth. And David listens, listens to the word of the Lord and goes. Then this next scene is actually a change we're going, to, we're going to now focus in on Saul. And I'm not going to read all this because there's a lot of text here in these three chapters. But let me summarize this. And you can go back and read it later. The scene now switches to Saul and he finds out David's back in Judah. Uh, and he finds out where he is and Saul's anger is just boiling. Uh, there's this scene of him. He's sitting there with his spear and, and talking to these men. He's saying, what do you think David's going to give you what I can give you? I'll make you captains. I'll give you land. And so he's, he's saying all this to, to his men, his, the tribe of Benjamin that it says. And, he's, and, then, and then he makes up this conspiracy. He says, you're all conspiring against me. You won't tell me where David is. You're, you're actually setting up this trap for me. There's no evidence that there's actually a trap being set up. But, but Saul, in his paranoia here, is saying, you're, you're all conspiring with him. You're wanting to follow him instead of me. And so then Doeg, remember I said there's a little hint, a little foreshadowing. He was there. He saw David get the sword of Goliath and get the bread of presence. And here now he snitches. He speaks up to Saul. He's trying to earn some brownie points with Saul, uh, where Saul's, you know, saying, accusing them all of turning against him. And Doeg says, well, I saw your high priest give David the bread and give him Goliath's sword. And so Saul says, okay, bring him here. So Ahimelech and the other priests come. And Saul starts interrogating him. Is this, is this how you're going to treat me? You're going to serve him and not me? And Saul ends up ordering them all to be killed. He turns to his servants and he says, kill all the priests. And they say, no, they wouldn't do it. 
But Doeg, this Edomite, says, I'll do it. Uh, and he kills all 85 of them, except for one, Abiathar, it says, escapes. And he doesn't just kill the priests. There's, this is a bloody scene that is described here as he kills all of these priests of God. And then he goes into the town of Nob and he kills all the women, all the children, all the infants, and all the animals, uh, carrying out this total ban on the city of Nob, which, which is the city of the priests of God. This is how Saul has turned. This is how how angry Saul has become, how paranoid Saul has become in his anger against David. He's, he is the king of these people and he goes and orders them to be slaughtered. But there is one priest who escapes, Abiathar. Look down in verse 20. It says, however, one of the sons of Ahimelech escaped. His name was Abiathar and he fled to David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord and David said to Abiathar, I knew that Doeg the Edomite was there that day and that he was sure to report to Saul. I myself am responsible for the lives of everyone in your father's family. So look at now the way that David protects, acting like a shepherd king. Saul orders the execution of God's people. David here protects. He says, stay with me. Don't be afraid. The one who wants to take my life wants to take your life. You will be safe with me. And, and here's the purpose of the story as Abiathar is the priest and he comes to David. Now the word of the Lord once again is coming to David. This is what we're going to see in chapter 23. This is how God shows his presence to David, shows his provision for him, his power and his protection for him. It's because the word of the Lord is coming to David. And it's here in chapter 23 that we're going to see God's promises to David are reminded to him. Verse 23, it says, it was reported to David, look, the Philistines are fighting against Caleb. This is, sorry, chapter 23, verse 1. They're raiding the, the threshing floors. Now, now here's, here's a theme that's going to come up. Verse 2, David inquired of the Lord, should I launch an attack? And the Lord answered, yes, launch an attack. Verse 4, once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, go at once to Calah. I will hand the Philistines over to you. And then verse six, Abiathar, this is that priest, he fled to David at Calah and he brought an ephod with him. Now this ephod is, is one of the ways that God would speak to his people during this time. We don't have them today. We don't know all of the ways that it worked, but this is a way that it would function as a, as a voice of the Lord, a, a, a speaking from the Lord. And so they would, in some way, ask a question to this ephod, and they would, there would be responses that were answered. And so David says this in verse 10. He's, he's seeking the Lord here through this ephod, which is the priests. Lord God of Israel, your servant was, has reliable information that Saul intends to come to Calah. Destroy the town because of me. So, so here what happened. David defeated the Philistines at Calah. And then he hears, Saul hears, and he's going to come defeat David and Calah. So he's, he's going to attack more of his own people here. And so David asks the Lord, will Saul come down as we've heard? And look at the end of verse 11. The Lord answered. And then verse 12, David asks, will the citizens of Calah hand me and my men over to Saul? 
They will, the Lord responded. So here, David has just rescued the city. And now they're going to turn him over to Saul. They're, they're going to betray him to Saul. And four times here in this chapter, it says, David asked the Lord and the Lord answered. David asked the Lord and the Lord answered. He asked the Lord and the Lord responded. And so the dominant theme here in this section is that David still has the word of the Lord. God has not abandoned him, even in this moment, even as he's being betrayed, unjustly attacked. So he escapes again, and he goes to Ziph. While he's there, just a couple more stories, and then we're done. While he's in Ziph, there's another wilderness, Jonathan comes to him. So this isn't Jonathan sending him a text. This isn't Jonathan sending him an email or a call. Jonathan goes out of his way, risks his own life, and, and would have had to try very hard to find David. Remember, Saul hadn't been able to find David yet, but Jonathan is able to get to David, and he goes there, and he provides an encouragement to David, and listen to how he does it. In verse 16, Saul's son Jonathan came to David, and he encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, do not be afraid. My father will never lay a hand on you. Why? How does he know that? Does he have some secret information that Saul's just bluffing, that he won't really try to kill David? No, here's how Jonathan knows that, because you yourself will be king over Israel. Jonathan is looking back to the promise of God, and he's encouraging David in his faith. He's not, he's not saying to David, hey, look, other people have it worse than you. Uh, you're fine. Cheer up. Get over it. You'll be all right. Don't, don't be so scared. Uh, he, he's not just dismissing David's fears and saying your fears are unfounded. They are founded. But what he is saying to him is that David, have faith. Because no matter how desperately Saul wants you dead, he can't touch you if God doesn't want him to. No matter how desperately the king wants your life wiped out, he can't get to you because God chose you to be the king. Cling to those promises, David. Trust, remember God's promises, and then trust that in God's providence, he's going to protect you. Saul won't be able to get to you. And then the end of this chapter is evidence of that. As, as David is betrayed again by the Ziphites, they, they, they're going to tell Saul where David is. Hey, he's with us now. And so Saul comes and he's trying to get him with his army. And then at the end of this chapter, it says that they're on opposite sides of the mountain. Saul's closing in. Uh, verse 26, Saul went along one side of the mountain. David and his men went along the other side. Even though David was hurrying to get away from Saul, Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Um, it's like the... This scene, or if you can see it from zoomed out, you're seeing, okay, David is separated from Saul. He's protected by this rock of separation. They're on different sides of the hill. But Saul's men are closing in. It's not, again, that David's men are able to defeat him. It's not that David's men are faster. No, Saul's actually getting there. And then just at the last moment, word comes to Saul. Hey, the Philistines are attacking and Saul has to back away. Uh, come quickly, the Philistines have raided the land. So Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to engage the Philistines. Look back one last verse, 
verse 14. Here's evidence of God's providence. Saul searched for him every day. But what happened? Saul couldn't get him. Saul couldn't find him. David was too fast. No, here's, here's the word. God did not hand David over to him. This is God's providence. This is what Jonathan was saying to David. No matter how much Saul chases you, it's up to God. And God's not going to hand you over to him. And so here in this moment, all the way through these three chapters, David could have turned on God. He could have doubted him. And he might have at certain times, because there are Psalms like that as well, where David's saying, how long, O Lord? How long will the wicked prevail? How long will they be attacking me? And so David's able to cry out to God in that way. But we also have these Psalms where we see through that, he's trusting, God, you are with me. You are my refuge. You are my protector. And you will fulfill your purposes and your promises for me. Those three things that I had each have some verses that I want to remind us of as we finish. The first, remember God's presence and his provision. We don't have the same story as David. But here's New Testament promises that actually look back and quote some of David's words as our assurance, where it says, for he himself said, this is God saying, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This is true for you. God is with you. He will never leave you. And so you can look to him as your helper. Number two, remembering God's power and his protection. Next slide. John 10 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Here's God's protection of our soul. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So here's, here's this Romans 8 saying, all things are working together for good. That means they're working toward God's ultimate end. Well, one, when one day we will be glorified, we will be with him, we will see him face to face and all things will be made new. And so we can trust that every step of the way until we get there is, is leading toward that end and nothing can separate you from the love of God. No, no one can bring any charge against God's children because God is sovereign. He's accomplishing his purposes. He's greater than all, and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And then this last one, remember God's promise and providence. Paul says, therefore, we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Paul's not saying you're going to have a happy life. He's not saying follow Jesus and everything will be smooth. 
Everything will be fun. No, actually, the normal theme through the New Testament is follow Jesus and you're going to go through really hard things, really difficult things. The outer person's being destroyed, but Paul says our inner person's being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction. Here's the promise, is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. That's the promise. That's the promise we don't have. We don't have a promise that one day we'll be king. And so we know someday it's getting us there. Except we know one day we will reign with Christ forever in eternity. We know that's coming. I was talking to dear friend from our church, I don't know if he's here or not, yesterday, he's gone through a lot of physical problems recently. And he said this, he said, he joked with me, he said, Dan, I've been told the first hundred years are the hardest. <laughs> and there's truth to that though. It fe- I mean, our lives feel like Oh, how long, David, 15 years of waiting to be king and going through this and feeling alone and feeling isolated. But we, that eternal perspective helps. There is coming a day when all things will be made new. Another friend two days ago was speaking words of encouragement to me and quoted an English Puritan flavel that says this, some providences of God like Hebrew letters, are best read backwards. Um, The Hebrew alphabet, Hebrew words you read from right to left. And he's saying, sometimes we don't know what God's doing until in hindsight we can look back and see, yep, God, you were with me every step of the way. And so as his people, we look to him in faith and hope and trust, remembering his presence and provision, his power and protection, his promises and his providence. I open by quoting from the solid rock. I'm going to put the third verse of that song on the screen. It says, his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Let me pray for us.